This morning we pick back up, and our text has been read for you here with Hebrews 11, as he's describing, again, God's faithfulness as he has so proved himself utterly capable and utterly faithful to all that he has stated in promise and provision to all of his people. And he will call forward from this point a hall of witnesses to that testimony. As we jump into the text right away, uh, perhaps you have thought, let me, let me read for you um, verse 1, 2, and 3 again. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old receive their commendation. And this we, we, we wrestled with last week. Now jumping in here, verse 3. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Now, I'm hoping that you thought at first glance, as I have several times, thought that the apostle's point here is a bit obscure, right? So right here I'm thinking, I'm not exactly sure of why we just went to Genesis, or Perhaps even more so, why we just went to creation. Wait a minute. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by the people of old receive their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. Okay, wait a minute. Well, it seems a bit, perhaps, at first, obscure. I'm hoping it does. I, I've, I've wrote a lot down here based on it being obscure. However, when we first consider, I think, what he's trying to achieve here with with what he's saying about the creation of the universe, what I think we're seeing here is not to begin right now for the next several minutes to bog down, not that it's not necessary at points in times, but here now for his overall goal. Remember, keeping this statement and the following statements in the context of his overall goal for the listener I don't think right now the goal is, hopefully I can prove that out, that the goal is to go back and to begin debating over your creation schemes or your progressive non-six-day creation schemes or your, okay, right, fitting at a time, appropriate, theologically, scientifically, great. But if we, if we take it in stride of the overall goal, goal of the text, I think we would be amiss to go there. Because remember, what is the goal of the text? It is to encourage the church church unto endurance. That's the goal. Unto endurance. So right now we would think, okay, right, and the way we'll endure is right now, you tell me, let's hash it out. How did creation come about? That's it. Okay, let's think about Adam. How was he walking at first? No, 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 let's don't. Let's don't, let's don't. That, 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 that's not, I think at this point, our goal for endurance. There, so, if that's the case, which I hope to prove out that it is the case, let me summarize the basic point up front here in this text of verse 3. The basic point. So, I'm, I'm just going to just broad brush stroke this, this basic point of why he just took us to the idea of by faith we know that the creation of the universe came by the word of God. And we're like, okay, let's fight over it. Wait, no, there's another way. There's another way, at least at this point. And that is the basic point 
of when you read that, how does that strengthen you in endurance? How is that encouraging you? What is he driving at? And the basic point is this. Faith is crucial to every aspect of our lives. That, that, that's the huge banner piece. And then a lot takes place as we would kind of um, spiral down to, to getting narrower and narrower and narrower in, in, in our spiral. But the, but the broadest piece at the top, the big banner that he's, that he's forcing you to consider, that he's really driving at in the thought of, by faith they were commended, or, or they were commended of God by their faith. By the way, the universe, you know that it happened in six literal days this way by the speech. Wait, 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 wait how, how do I handle that? This is what he's suggesting to you. This is it. That faith is crucial to every aspect of our lives. There are three little pieces here that I want to fill in underneath that large banner. So we're at the top of our spiral. And then I want to kind of take a little narrower step and then a littler, uh, uh, smaller. I don't think littler is a word. I live with little ones, so I say stuff like that a lot. But I mean a smaller step. Uh, And yet a smaller, more narrow step yet again. And then hopefully we can conclude. And that, that is these three little pieces here of what it means that, how is he explaining from verse 3 that faith is utterly crucial to every aspect of our lives. The first one, the first little piece that fills in, step down number one. Look at the text there, verse 3. By faith. So again, the crucial function of faith in our lives as the people of God He describes that by faith, this crucial component of our lives, it is by this component that we understand that the universe was created. And it was created by the Word of God. So that what is seen, that is, this is how you're viewing your world. This is what is seen, taste, touch, handle, the things that are observable, was not made out of things that are visible. That is, little step number one, our understanding of the world itself is stimulated by faith. It's encouraged, it's sparked, it's fueled by faith. Origins, sustainability, matter, physics, we could explore and just say our basic, here's this gigantic piece of us living on this world, our basic fundamental understanding of it is stimulated by faith. Everything about the world is stimulated by our faith. That, that, that is, so even at the very, do you see what he's doing? At the, at the basic level, everything for the people of God is stimulated by faith. Encouraged on, driven on, fueled on by faith. So I'm looking at the data, I'm touching the data, I'm feeling the data, and yet it is stimulated. All of it is encouraged and fueled on by faith. Even the understanding of the world upon which I live is stimulated by faith because faith, he is suggesting, is crucial. To every aspect of your life. 
even your understanding of the origin of the world you live in. Step one. Yet he is going to continue and encourage the second component that helps us understand that faith, this is the biggest point, the basic point. Faith is crucial to every aspect of our lives. Number two. So number one is our understanding of the world is stimulated, of the basic components of the world is stimulated by faith. Secondly, he will encourage our enduring within the world. So our understanding of the world is stimulated by faith. Our enduring then within this world is sustained by faith. So, so our understanding of it is stimulated and driven on and encouraged as we consider it by faith. Our enduring, the trials, the challenges of the world within which we live or find ourselves. How will you understand it? How do you, what is your basic matrix you're looking through as you consider the world? Faith. How will you endure within that world? By that same source. Faith. There are many trials, many challenges, many burdens in this world. And your understanding of it is through the matrix of faith. Your sustainability of going through it and its various difficulties is sustained by faith. Because faith is crucial to every aspect of our lives. This is kind of the third step down then. So if that's the basic point of what he's getting at here as he speaks on the commendation that faith brings by God, that it is his gift and his energy and his work and is a vessel whereby you are receiving and resting what he has provided in himself for you. So that your basic understanding of the world that you live on, I could say, is stimulated on by that faith. And yet when that world begins to squeeze in and down, you endure there in that world that you're viewing by faith. You endure those challenges by that very same faith. So the, the final piece here at the very beginning of how we would grasp the basic point that faith is crucial for every aspect of our lives is number three, the source. And this is crucial as we move forward. And this is what he's going to begin describing to us is that the source from which our faith is decidedly formed. Right? So, so we possess faith and it's stimulated on in understanding it's sustained, our faith is sustained, uh, or, or our enduring is sustained by that very same faith. And the source from which our faith is decidedly formed is the dynamic Word of God. I want to draw your attention. That's why he says we believe that it was created by the word of God and that what is invisible or is visible is now made out of things that were invisible or the seen to the invisible. This, this centrality of the word of God. So he's saying you're understanding it and you're enduring by faith 
and the source from which that faith that you're operating by is decidedly formed is the dynamic Word of God. In other words, the Word of God in the life of God's people is not static, but is active. So as you go through an active life, through active challenges in real time, the Word of God that was appropriate in this moment in time is appropriate in this moment in time. Remember, he's already said this. Look back quickly. You, you, you probably have this memorized, but look quickly where he had already laid the groundwork for understanding the Word of God as active and living. You recall in chapter 4, verse 11 and 12. This again is, our faith is decidedly formed here. This is, we live by faith, but the source from which our faith is being constantly formed is the dynamic Word of God. Verse 11, let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. What do we have in our striving to be strengthened by, to endure by? Verse 12, for the word of God is living and active. Let us strive. Let us keep going. Let us endure. For the word of God is living and active sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and of the spirit of joints and of marrow, and discerning, actively discerning, exposing the heart, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The function, the dynamic function of the Word of God. Back to our passage as we continue to go down through chapter 11. If I could summarize the basic point yet again and then kind of conclude it. His basic point is he's driving us and he'll continue to develop it through these redemptive historical stories or witnesses to this truth. These people that we will look at, they will witness to this. That faith is crucial to every aspect of our lives. And the apostle is driving us to the word of God as that which our faith must continuously feast. Again, if faith is crucial and it is formed by the dynamic word of God, then we must feast upon that word of God that our faith will be so formed that we might endure. It is important here, I think, to note, when it can, it can be challenging to speak of faith, I, I, at least for me, because again, it can be kind of vague, it can be hard to grasp, be hard to understand, it be hard to define. We can kind of put it upon ourselves and speak in degrees or how much or how little. Uh, it, so it can be a challenge. 
Sometimes as we speak of faith, it seems like that can, to some, it can be skeptical. It can be a bit of a, a cop-out, a vague notion or idea, an abstraction that we're just not sure of its clarity and its meaning, and it's a dumping ground for things. So let me make kind of a little note here regarding how crucial faith is. Because it is not a dumping ground for difficulty or a cop-out of our Christian faith. It is important, I think, right here to recognize that the faith that is being described here in the text of Holy Scripture, as we describe faith, what is being described about faith is that it is not a blind faith. Again, our faith being described here is not a blind faith, like a dumping ground. For here's difficulty, what I'm going to do is because I don't want to doubt, I'm just going to throw it in the, in the dumping ground of faith. Oh, wait, what is being described here is not a blind faith, but is rather a faith that sees. That's what's being described. An active word of God forming our faith that is not blind, but it sees How does faith see? Through the light of God's revelation. That's how faith sees, puts its eyes on. It isn't a cop-out, a hiding place where I I don't want to deal with this, so I'm going to use a crutch that, that can be... That's not what we're describing here. It's deep, it's penetrating, it's meaningful. It does see It sees through the light of God's revelation. That's what he's driving us to. We know all that we observe. We know how to endure through difficulty of that which we observe. And it is the same source, the word of God. That's where our faith gets its eyes on, its high-definition worldview. This then moves us along. It's an important note that it is not blind, but it sees. But you must be looking where? To the revelation of God's word. This then moves us to consider three distinctive aspects. I want to consider three distinctive aspects of how our faith begins to see. Maybe you haven't spent a lot of time thinking on faith as something going on here. But if we look at this text, um, I, I, I count just quickly for you here. I'm thinking on, should we stop yet again, consider faith? And and mine it out a little bit. Will will we get a big return for doing so? Well, let's see. Faith is mentioned 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13 times so far in this page. Um, 14, 15? 15 times or so? And you can count later and then correct me. But I think it's around 15 times so far uh, in this passage. So is it worth mining out that we grasp how indeed by faith we live? What do we mean? What, is the, what, is, what are the marks of biblical faith if it does see through the Word of God? And it's, it's formed and informed by the Word of God. Three distinctive aspects of how our faith sees originally and how it continues to see into maturity for the saints. 
this morning. The first aspect of how faith, the first, first distinctive aspect of faith. And maybe you've heard this before. This is not my breakdown. It is just a standard classic breakdown. If we were to take faith, let's say here, we, we would say it's like this sphere right here is, is faith. And, and if we were to consider, I want to know more than just what's on the exterior as an idea of faith. I, w- I want to kind of pull out what makes it so that I can see it all go like this, and then I can put those things back, and then I'll consider faith in its whole again. If I was to pull out its pieces, there would be three that I would pull out from this. Not just me, Adam, as in everyone. The first of three distinct aspects that comprise or make what we would consider to be biblical faith is knowledge. And this is he's going to describe for us as we go forward, but there's a component, first and foremost, knowledge. That is, faith sees, it begins with an intellectual awareness. Knowledge is the first component of how we need to consider faith. That's piece number one. Now we've just taken out of this idea of faith, by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. What is faith? Knowledge. That is an intellectual awareness. One is made aware. You must right now, and you are right now, being made aware of divine truth. You you need that. I can't skip that and it just come down somehow in some other way by getting hit by one of you bike riders. When we, when we, I think that happened, uh, I was with someone one time and they opened the door and they got out of their car and got hit by a bike. All you bike riders in our church. It doesn't implant by that, it doesn't implant faith into someone or any other means. How does faith come about? What are these three distinctive aspects of faith? Number one, knowledge and intellectual awareness, being made aware of divine truth. Number two, number two, the, the next piece that we peel out is assent. Faith. There is an intellectual persuasion. It's going into the mind. One is hearing it through the ears. It's registering in the mind. There is an intellectual appeal. Here are facts. Here are propositions. Here are statements. I'm appealing to the mind. And then there's this second component as the mind is now being made aware. There is a need for persuasion of the mind to move from data points and collecting of intellectual awareness to move to conviction, to be persuaded by the truthfulness of that claim. And the apostles saying, we are those who have heard. We are those who have been persuaded. And the third component, so it goes, if, if you were to take, again, a classic definition of faith, and you were just to peel it out real quick and then put it all back together and kind of receive the idea or description of faith, you would say, well, faith is comprised of knowledge and awareness. It is also comprised of an assent, that is a being persuaded by that knowledge. And the final, perhaps most important, we could say component, if we could, I'm not sure, is trust. That is, the heart and the will commit fully, without reservation, to that word in all of its truthfulness. 
I've heard the word this morning. I've heard data. I've been intellectually made aware. I am being persuaded by what I'm hearing. And I'm committing my life and pathway to that which has been proclaimed to me. That is faith. In sum, if I could summarize the components of faith. Our knowledge of, our being persuaded by, and our wholly trusting in this word from God will empower us for endurance. That's the big point. As he's saying, don't cut off from it. Don't go away from it. It is by it that your faith will be formed and strengthened, sustained by this word of God. You have a need of endurance. Draw near to the word of God. Now, if this is the case, that our knowledge of, our being persuaded by, and our holy trusting in this word will empower us unto endurance. If that is the case, can I note carefully for you, it's opposite. This is also his point. Without our faith feasting upon this word, there will be no endurance. There's your endurance. That's how you will be formed. That's how you will be sustained. That's how you will interpret with a high-definition worldview. By the word. Without it, without its influence, without your, your, your hearing it. So I'm not, I'm not going to be in position to hear it. Well, then how will you assent and be so persuaded? How will your heart gladly commit if you don't at first hear? He says, get in the word. Be with the people of God. There your faith will flourish and feast. Be so formed and you will endure. Because you will not find in there a promise that was not secured. That's where he's going to drive you. You say, I'm not so sure. Well, can I call a few witnesses? There you have the rest of chapter 11. Exhibit A, exhibit B, exhibit C, exhibit D. And you know, the alphabet keeps going. There it is. Will he be a secure high tower and a refuge of strength. Will he? He has been. He was and is and is to come. Can I then, right here, apply this more specifically for a moment? So I, I'm perhaps at my most narrow. In thinking of this um, operative in our lives, 
faith as this knowledge and, and, and hearing and, and influence of the word and, and persuaded by that this is the case. What God just said is true. And, and since it's true, I'm going to commit to follow it and obey it and be shaped by it. So what does this look like in my life? How will I know, in other words, maybe, perhaps, how can I consider, and I'm asking you right now to consider your own life and your own heart in the matter of living by faith. Because you're going to be called to witness, to witness, to witness after witness about living by faith. So how can we consider perhaps our life lived by faith? What what does it look like? For me, I put down two points of exposure is what I've called them. Two points of exposure whereby we can discern. In a moment, I think that this would be a basic litmus test for all of us. A very general one. But I think that it's two points of exposure that will discern, that we can discern by if we are rightly or not rightly feasting upon this word of God. Two exposure points. So, number one, exposure point number one, that is, how can I apply this to my own heart? Exposure point number one, frustration with the unpredictable. That's an exposure point, a point of exposure where you see your creatureliness would be one. Are you frustrated with the unpredictable? That is, what would frustration look like with the unpredictable? Fear, a spirit of fear. You don't know what's going to occur, therefore you are caught in a spirit of fear. Anger, Is my faith, what I'm asking is, is my faith feasting on the word of God or is it not? How can I tell? Consider this point of exposure to help you be able to tell. Are you constantly frustrated or does it mark you to be frustrated by the unpredictable? Are there emotions such as fear, anger, lapses in integrity, all in an effort to seek control? What we're going to see after witness, after witness, after witness, after witness is... Large levels of unpredictability. But remember, their faith was not set in an outcome, but in a person. So they weren't characterized by needing to manipulate and control in order to have something more predictable. Frustration with the unpredictable. Again, do we have fear, anger, lapses of integrity? Of course. The point is, at a point of exposure... Does that mark you? I have to control this circumstance. I have to. Then perhaps your faith is not feasting on the word of God. Second point of exposure. Action is stifled by circumstances. That is, perhaps that frustration gives way to inaction. In other words, in your day-to-day level, in your your five-year plan, in your considerations of, of, of what to do, where we're going, how we're getting there, in considering that, are you so frustrated or are you so overwhelmed that action is stifled? There is no movement forward. There's a spirit that sets in of indecisiveness and insecurity. 
I just don't do anything. I don't act. Why not? Why aren't you acting? Why aren't you taking steps? Where's your courage? Why do you have this need to control? Why? At root, your faith is not seeing. How can my faith, how, how can I take my faith and have eyes on it? How can, how can I see? How can I get that sense of, I don't need to control because someone else is controlling. And they are good. They are sure. They are steadfast. How can, I, how can I see that though when these circumstances are all that I can see? Our faith sees through the light of God's revelation. The word be under its influence. Hear it. Read it. Pray that God would enable you to be so persuaded by it that you would wholly trust in it. And then your eyes open. And maybe I make one more action than I made last week. Progressively grow by His enabling grace through his empowering word. Next, quickly, is provided for us in this text are historical witnesses to this being lived out, to those who trusted not in outcomes, but in a person, and who acted in time, having been persuaded by the word from God that he is utterly truthful. He calls witnesses Look at the first one in verse 4 of, uh, of witness number 1 to the faithfulness of God. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts, and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. Witness number 1 is Abel. Quite obvious there from the text, a man of righteousness by faith. What I want to do with Abel real quickly is I want to take Abel and kind of plug him in. Because when we look at Abel and Enoch, the two witnesses this morning that speak to us, we're hearing it. We need to be persuaded and trust in that which we hear. When we consider Abel and Enoch, they're short, aren't they? And many of us have wrestled with what's going on with uh, Abel's offering and, and, and the things going on there um, can be a bit difficult. And then Cain, and then what, what's taking place exactly there? And it's such a short little uh, uh, part in the narrative, um, it can be hard to kind of mine out a lot from it. If we could, then I want to take these three things as we consider knowledge, assent, and trust. And I want to kind of plug those things in to, by faith, Abel. That is, this is how Abel was functioning. There was a knowledge. There was an assent or a being persuaded by, and there was a committing to what God had said about the man, or about Abel, a man of righteousness. What is it that we could consider that Abel acknowledged at the first level of knowledge, right? Because in the episode, you recall in Genesis, they come and they bring their offerings. It, Cain and Abel, right? And then there is uh, God commending Abel in his offering and then not commending Cain. 
And then the comment in that text is regarding Abel or Cain, why the long face? Um, if you do good, will you not also be commended? Right? So there's something about if you do good. There, there, so there was something about a revelation regarding because they acted. In other words, they didn't, out of clear blues, bring offerings or bring sacrifice. There was a word at some point in that narrative that we don't have total access to. There was a word to Cain and Abel regarding offering. Because we have them bringing offering. So there was something there that, that Cain or Abel acknowledged. And that is, if I was to put in, again, by faith, we know what faith is, Abel acted. What I would suggest to each of us is that Abel acknowledged God's word regarding acceptable sacrifice. Again, we don't have all the details in the text. We just know that he did bring sacrifice. He did bring offering. And he acted by doing that. He was acting by faith. That would mean that there was a revelatory word to Abel and to Cain. And Abel regarded God's word. He acknowledged it regarding God's word on proper sacrifice. Again, our faith is formed, our faith feasts, our faith is sustained and stimulated, driven on by the word from God. So too, by faith, Abel acted. There was an acknowledgement by Abel of God's word regarding proper or acceptable offering. Consider... uh, Piece number two there is from knowledge, there is an assent or acknowledgement to persuasion. What could we suggest in piecing out this text as we refer to Abel without a lot of access to Abel in the event of the sacrifice? But plugging in by faith to this episode, what could we consider about Abel's faith? That Abel humbly obeyed God's word, being persuaded that obedience is the pathway to life and communion. There was a persuasion that took place for Abel. Again, Cain, why, if you do good, will you not also? There's a level which Abel did good. There was, a, there was a word regarding what to do, and Abel heard it and then was persuaded by it. This word is the pathway to life and communion with God. This is the word that is being delivered to you this morning. A word to hear and to be persuaded by that this That is, that faith is crucial for my life and it must feast upon the word of the Lord. Am I being persuaded that that is the case? The final piece of faith there regarding this episode with Abel that commended him to God as God received his gifts, commending him as righteous. That is, the final piece is trust, right? So what we can gather from this episode is that Abel trusted in God's promise to receive and forgive. He trusted. There was some word delivered to Abel and Cain. In this revelatory word that was heard, Abel 
acted. We gather from that he was persuaded. And in that then obedient persuasion, he trusted in God that he would receive and uphold his word that he gave. Do you see the basic paradigm? God speaks, his people hear, they are persuaded, this is true, and they act in obedience, trusting wholly that he can do what he has said. This is the episode. In sum, Abel's life is a witness of godly faith that was richly rewarded by our shared and faithful God. Second witness here in concluding. The second witness in this little episode here about all witnesses that come to speak about hearing, being persuaded by, and trusting and committing to the word of God that will feed you, fuel you, shape you, sustain you. Episode or witness number two is Enoch. If we consider that Abel and Cain is short-lived in the biblical narrative, how much more can we consider Enoch a short-lived character in the narrative? Yet there is much there as now is called to witness to the faithfulness of God acting in time. He upholds his word. How can we receive that Enoch is a man of righteousness by faith? How how do we grasp what takes place with Enoch? Look at verse 5. By faith... Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Pretty straightforward. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. Now immediately the pleasure of God placed upon Enoch comes in home to verse 6. But it's applicable to Abel as well, right? Look at the way that he wrote it. Enoch pleased God. What do we know then about Enoch? We know that he lived by faith. We have that at the beginning of verse 5, and we have that in that comment, he pleased God. How do we know that faith equals pleasing God? Verse 6, without faith, it's impossible to please. So we know that, again, Enoch acted in faith. By faith, he was said to have pleased God. He must have had faith, because without faith, you cannot please God. So we recognize Enoch to be a man of faith. But then there's these details that he was scooped up and he was found no more. What do we make of this about Enoch's faith? I would suggest as we kind of consider it and piece it together, there's an episode where someone was living by faith and, 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 and God was pleased in them and an event occurred that delivered them up to his presence. Okay, so that, that we're all square on, right? That, that occurred. He's pleased, he's living by faith, he took him, and he was found no more. If we take that, what, what occurred in Enoch, and we come all the way across the pages of Scripture to the final promises for all of God's people, right? That God will, with those that are his, he will gather them and they will be with him. Can we look at Enoch's episode, very individual, Enoch's episode of being gathered and taken because he was living by faith and consider that that is a foreshadowing event in the life of all of God's people. 
That is, how does Enoch still speak in that episode? Enoch's faith, it's clear from the text, Enoch's faith was rewarded. And his righteousness was confirmed. Think now in your own heart, in your own life, and in your own mind, as difficulty is pressing down, and he drives you to Enoch as a witness for your present situation. Look at Enoch. Think, what's there for me with Enoch? Enoch's faith. You who are hoping in God's word this very hour. Enoch's faith was rewarded. Is that refreshing to you already? A faith that is enduring. Even if it's weak, even if it's wavering, it's enduring because of its object. I cling to a strong Lord. So though it's wavering, it will as I gaze upon Enoch who speaks yet still, as does Abel. That even weak faith will be rewarded. And his righteousness was confirmed. What God pledged to Enoch, what God pledges to his people, will be confirmed. As God foreshadowed in Enoch his promise to deliver and save all who trust in him. In sum, Enoch still speaks alongside Abel as witness of God's faithfulness to his people to preserve, to keep, to endure, to deliver, and to save. Final piece is verse 6. I conclude with it this time here. Verse 6. He reminds you as it serves us to kind of encapsulate what's come before and to kind of push us on to what's coming ahead. Verse 6. Without faith and without faith, it is impossible to please him. This is what drove Abel and this is what drove Enoch. Do you notice the accent is rightly placed on God? not on outcomes. How so? Look at the text very carefully. Without faith, it is impossible to please Him. For whoever would draw near to God, do you see the effort? Is to please God, not outcomes, not to gather and secure and control outcomes, but to be pleasing to a person, to draw near to a person, must believe that He exists. Number one. Your, your faith's object is Him. You want to please Him. You want to draw near to Him, not things. And faith must believe that He exists as the supreme object of one's faith. And that He, as I seek Him, rewards. Those who seek rewards. Oh, wait, no, wait. The text didn't say that. He rewards those who seek Him. This is what fueled Abel as we have access to Him. This is what fueled Enoch as we have a reminder of Him. And this is what must fuel the people of God yet still. Him as the object of our faith. Not putting our hope in outcomes. I've heard the word of the Lord. 
I'm being persuaded as the Spirit applies. And by that enabling power, I'm committing to walk in obedience. That is, I want to live by faith.